Hello, and welcome back to Idiot's Alphabet Soup. Yay! <laughs> We're going to be talking about a book. A book, yes, a very good book, in my opinion. Yes. Do you want to tell the story real quick about how we found the book? Yes. Well, they've already heard about the book's a million scam. Right. But we first saw the right. book. Right. Yes. Okay. So, um, one, I was visiting Catherine while she was, like, you know, in Maryland, and then when I went with her to work in D.C. Um, the one day we had, like... Decided, we had, like, 20 minutes to kill or something. Well, we, get, like, gave ourselves an extra 20 minutes to kill, and that, well, remember, because we went to the Postal Museum. Right. So, like, Catherine got off work a little bit early, we went to the Postal Museum, but then, because of that, we didn't get the, to the train station at the usual time, and so the train we needed to take was a bit later. And so we had, yes. like, an extra 15 minutes to kill, at the train station. And so we went to this bookstore right by the gate. Well, it's like an, an everything store, but they also sell books for, like, travelers who need something to... Yes. To keep... Like, anyway, anyway. <laughs> you know, the people who... Because they don't have service on the train. That's what I'm getting at. Anyway. <laughs> um, so we were, like, looking around at these books. Trying you know to find the story kind of reminds me of? What? It's like... <laughs> you ask an old person, like... You, they, you, an old person says a story and they're like, do you know that like 7-Eleven right by I-95? It's like no relevance to the story. Like there is no reason. Oh, like when they name a place that's like by these random roads and you're like, ma'am, I use Google Maps. I don't know where anything is. <laughs> See, that like creates more conversation. I'm just like, yep. Anyway. We anyway, we saw it in the books. Sir. Yeah. And we found, yeah, we found this book, and then we ended up getting it at Books a Million, where we got scammed, <laughs> where I specifically got scammed. <laughs> yes, but um, the the big thing that attracted me to the book was that it had the Oprah's Book Club sticker on it. Yes, um, and apparently it's, like, quite the popular book, because we mentioned on our last podcast that we were going to be talking about it, this one, um, and my brother went and, like, looked up the audio like wanted to see if he could borrow the audiobook through the university library where he goes where he's an instructor and um it was like all booked up like he's like the whole town of corvallis is trying to read this book because like the there were like three yeah. three audiobooks and one had like 600 people like waiting for it that is insane the others were like also in the hundreds it was ridiculous also hey ben Hi, Ben. We're, we appreciate you listening to the potty. <gasps> Can we talk about my favorite Ben joke? Yes. Yes. No. Yes? Yes, we can. Yes. <laughs> um, you were in Oregon for yeah. Christmas or something, and you sent me a picture of the two of you. And you were like, do... Were you Cause, like... Because Catherine was convinced that I look like my brother Ben, which is not true. <laughs> that I have siblings that I look much more similar to than I look to my brother Ben. Yeah, but anyway, she sends me a picture, and she's like, what I was did like, you say? I was like, do we look alike, Catherine? Oh, yeah, and then I responded back, um, yeah, you do look alike, but he's a little prettier. <laughs> That's like her favorite joke, is that my brother Ben looks like me, but he's prettier. <laughs> also, we are in the same room right now. Yes. We're recording this together. Um, we are kind of a little insane. We just woke up from a nap, like, a half hour ago. Yeah, we were a little dead earlier. I was kind of worried about how this podcast would go, but Honestly, we got our same. energy. Up. We got our second win. It helps. I was like, I was like dead exhausted even after the nap, and then something like some switch flipped, and I was jumping around the house yelling "Uga Booga Uga Booga." 
Uh, Honestly, um, valid. Remember that one time that we were in Oregon and I started, uh, yes, doing somersaults on the bed. It's like eight o'clock in the morning and Catherine just starts doing somersaults and like tumbling all over the place. And I was exhausted. I was like, what is going on? You like hated my guts. I was just confused. I, I didn't know what was happening. Um. Anyway, should we tell them why we're together? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to say this is a tradition now mm-hmm. that I come here for Stepping Out. Yeah. Stepping Out is this like festival in Blacksburg every year. It's like the last hurrah before the students come back. Yeah. Um, and it was really fun. We got a bunch of free stuff. Yes. Because we decided to see, like, how much free stuff we could get. Um, and we got quite a lot. We got quite a lot. Significantly more than what we need. A lot of junk. But some really good stuff in there. Some like, really um, yeah. we got, like, little vouchers for a free soda when we go to this one movie theater. It's and and we, we got, got two free tickets to the Moss Art Center. Yeah, so we're gonna watch. Well, I don't think you'll, will you be able to be here for it. I have no clue. TBD. TBD. But um, yeah, go to see this like string quartet there, which is like quite a good quite a good deal. Um, yeah, it's gonna be. What else did we do? Uh, a seven out. Yeah, we mostly just like walked around. We got hats. We got these big hats. Those were not free. Yeah, but they are cute. <laughs> they are quite cute. Also, we were in matching outfits, and everybody thought that we were, like, babies. Super young, yeah. Um, Like, one guy asked us what grade we were in when we were talking to him to get our free stuff. Yes, and then this one girl, you know, there's, like, one of those spinny thingies that you do, and, like, what, whatever the notch lands on, you get your, you get, like, a free item, and mine landed on, like, a bottle opener for, like, I guess for beer. Yeah. And she was like, oh, if someone under 21, like, gets that, you can pick whatever prize you yeah. want. Because we don't want to push uh, drinking on people under 21. And, like, I didn't want to explain. So I was just like, yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah, they was just like, okay. Or one lady was like, oh, are you two performing later? <laughs> but, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure everyone thought we were children. Um, it definitely does not help that what the stepping out shirt that we wore was a kid's shirt it was a kid's shirt it was a kid's um extra large extra large yeah yeah honestly really convenient it's so convenient to fit into boys extra large also yeah. did we tell our potty that our like body measurements are plus minus an inch we did not we measured so Catherine needed to get measured because she was ordering like a custom bridesmaids dress mm-hmm. um and so like i was doing her measurements and then we were like oh let's just measure me too and yeah our body measurements are very similar and it's so convenient because especially now like knowing exactly what they are because like mm-hmm. um i was here and like shopping like thrift store shopping and i found this jumpsuit that was really cute and i bought it thinking like oh maybe i could send it to Catherine, but i couldn't try it on in store because the dressing rooms were like out of commission or something i don't know it was dumb um but then i tried it on and i was like oh yeah it's a little like tight on me here and loose here but that's exactly where like where Catherine's body is different from mine so i'm perfect <laughs> but in general it's so convenient because i know that like if something fits me it's gonna fit her yeah especially if it's like our regular style, which is, like, a little loose anyway. Yeah. Like, a t-shirt. Yeah. Or whatever. It's, like, so easy. We also have very similar styles, I feel like. Yes. So, we like to match a lot. Yes. I don't know if we ever talked about this, but we do match a lot. And the vibes... Yeah. Yeah. I'd say if I ever turn Mennonite, like, 
your style would be what I would be wearing. And if you ever turned worldly, <laughs> your style would be yeah. what I would be wearing, for sure. <laughs> oh, uh, man. I feel like I, maybe this is not true, but I feel like you already dress like a little bit more Mennonite than you should. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin's been on this trend of wearing like, hair kerchiefs and like scarves on her head well yeah what I always wear but it looks really cute on her well yeah it wasn't that far of a stretch because I'm a thing on my head girly yes we're both things on our heads girly like if I'm not wearing like I usually have something on my head like a hat or headband. yeah like a baseball cap or a headband like that's always part of the look but the handkerchief style yeah I'm digging it it looks good on you ty um Anyway, should we talk about the book? We should probably talk about the book. Wait, before that, should we talk about how we're revamping the potty? Yes. Okay. So, well, we've already told them about our goal to, like, be able to put ads on our potty and... Get a cup of coffee. Get a cup of coffee. And we did get, like, quite a few new listeners from Emily, which is really nice. Hopefully we can keep that up. Hopefully, huh? Yeah. But we've uh, been making an effort to be more active on our Instagram and to like reach out to or like tag authors and stuff and post about what books we're going to be doing. Yes. And we've been on um Instagram reel uh, we're we're trying to just, what else are we Yeah, just like do more things. We'll see how it pans out, but yeah. Yeah. Be sure. more active. Um so our plan is so this book we're talking talking about the Covenant of Water by Abraham Deguse. Mm-hmm. And then our next book that we talk about is going to be Vanderbilt by Anderson Cooper and Catherine Howe. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is going to be an exciting one. So stay tuned for that. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then after that, we're going to talk about uh, The Myth, the of, myth Sisyphus. of Sisyphus yes. by Albert Camus. I don't know how to say it. Uh, I'm going to say Camus in my head, but I don't know yeah. I don't know. He's Algerian, so. Not know he was Algerian. <laughs> yeah, he is. Interesting. So our goal is to do some books that like make each of us uncomfortable. So the myth of Sisyphus one is gonna make me uncomfortable because I'm usually not about philosophy books. Yes. Yeah. Um Okay. So yes, The Covenant of Water by Abraham Deguse. And obviously we had to do our bit. Uh, we had to do our bit. Which reach was out, reach out to the author. author. Um, and this one is actually a little bit different than usual. So usually we, like, hunt for an email, something like that. But why don't you explain what happened this time, Kathy? Okay, so we, we're on this train of, like, oh my gosh, we have to revamp the potty. Book aesthetic, uh. So, um, I told Jenny, like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna post an Instagram story. I, whenever I go to work, I have to pass by Union Station. And so I'm going to take a book and, like, have a really aesthetic, like, holding my book moment. Click. Um, and it's going to be great. I'm going to tag Abraham Verdice, and it's going to be great. Um, so I did that, and I think I put some, like, silly <laughs> non-caption on it. Like, like if you want li- to uh, read if you like family ties and water, teehee. <laughs> You not remember this? I literally, like, I looked at it, but I was like, oh, we posted it. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was something stupid. And, um, yeah, so I posted that. And then, like, 12 hours later that night, uh, Abraham Verghese reposted it on his, like, actual Instagram story. Yeah, he, like, liked it and reposted it. 
it was like sometime in the it was like in the evening i remember because i was at vol- i was playing volleyball and yes you like i didn't see it until i was leaving was it not just like Yes, and so now we're like two degree, two social degrees closer to Oprah. Which is I know, quite exciting. We're like, we have to capitalize on this opportunity. So the two of us like construct this message. It's like, oh my word, thank you for reposting. Like we love your book, and we would love to have you come on the potty and talk about it. Yes. Here's the problem. <laughs> been debating how exactly you pronounce this man's name yeah like we looked it up and it's Verghese I think but Catherine and I were on the train for a while saying Varghese Varghese so Abraham Varghese <laughs> and so in typing out this message we spelled his last name wrong. I was like dear Mr. Varghese <laughs> oh man um and so he liked the message but did not respond to it um and it might have been because i spelled his last name wrong (laughs) so sorry dr Varghese. um that that's that's my bad that's on me that's on me that's on us it's on us we sorry yeah be sorry but we did love your book we did love your book and we'll miss not having you on the potty but you know what Maybe he would not have wanted to be here for the, like, ten minutes we spent recounting <laughs> Stephanie. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Okay. So. So. The book itself. The Covenant of Water. Mm-hmm. Do you want to give us a summary of what's it, what it's about? Yes. Um, the Covenant of Water is basically uh, a story about this family who live in some village in Kerala, India. And it spans three generations, and I think about almost 80 years. Mm-hmm. And it's really centered around um, the matriarch of the family called Bigamachi. And the story opens up with her being 12 years old and about to be married to a 40-year-old man. Crazy, I know. Um, and it ends with her granddaughter, uh, Mariama. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this mysterious condition that, um, plagues her, uh, Bigamachi's family. Like the family she marries into. Yeah, the family she marries into, where they, uh, where they somehow lose their balance and, like, feel it's like terrible the, if they're submerged in water. Yeah, it's like they sort of lose control of themselves and, like, freak out in water and, like, can't swim. Um, like, yeah. They just cannot behave themselves in water. Yeah, and what's what's ended up happening is at least one person in every generation dies by drowning. And, like, it could be in shallow water. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so it kind of follows their their story. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to pause while you adjust so it doesn't make noise. Yeah, sorry. It's my leg is asleep. Yeah, so it kind of follows their story um, and sort of the relational and generational dynamics that are happening and um, changes perspective a lot, which is really interesting. And there's these intertwining storylines. So it's centered around this this family, um, but there's a couple other storylines that are also intertwined, one of which is uh, from this doctor named Digby. He's probably the main other storyline. Yeah, he's um, from Ireland. He's from Ireland. 
and he ends up moving to India when he's like 20 to be a doctor um, and like goes through goes through some stuff, some of which is self-imposed. Digby. Um, Digby makes you some, got some problems. Um, now, it should be noted, there is a lot of book in this book. Yeah, I would say it's not a brick, but it's definitely heavy like a brick. And by that, I mean it's huge and it's 700 pages. It's 700 pages and like, yeah, it's just a lot. Like, I, re- I think you had the same experience as me where you get halfway through the book and you're like, how is there more book to this? Like, this has been a full book's worth of story already. Yeah, and it just keeps going. It just keeps going. And even like the last hundred pages is when things get really like, crazy yeah yeah there's a lot of book to this book but it's really good yeah i i loved it yeah me too um there were we can get into this <laughs> we later can get into this later maybe let's talk about some of the big themes in this book because this you morning. know that we love a good theme we love a good theme <laughs> um, uh. all right so i would say that um there's a few like smaller themes to this book like motherhood legacy grief one mm-hmm. of the big ones that stuck out to me is the idea of like relationships and caste and how those things change in time um because this is said in, in india right and so like caste the caste system plays a factor here um the, now the family itself is like a catholic family it's really interesting actually they're like they were converted by saint, saint thomas, thomas. Um, who is a disciple of Jesus, and then like that, that religion or like the like church there has lasted for all these for this long time. And so that yeah, they're Catholic, and so because of that, the the family itself is kind of outside of the caste system, but mm-hmm. it's still like very much the story is affected by caste and by like how they view each other, um, and their relationship with their servants is also very affected by caste. Um, and you see this kind of changing throughout the generations, which is really interesting. Yes. And then just their relationships with each other and how marriage is expected to be and how that changes throughout generations also plays a big factor in this book. Um, because we start out with big Amachi marrying her husband where like she's 12 and he's 40. And there's, it's like the sort of normal thing to marry as a child and just like live in this new house. Um, but, and like grow up there and then eventually like take on this role as wife. But Mm -hmm. then for her son, like, he still did have to kind of work through this matchmaker to get an arranged marriage. Like, he knew who he wanted to marry, and he chose that for himself. And they were older. And they were older. (laughs) And then for her granddaughter, it was also, like, yeah, she had this volition. She was able to go out and, like, go get a career. And it almost seemed like she wouldn't even have to really marry if she didn't want to. It wasn't Mm -hmm. really, like, an expectation that was placed on her. I think one of the the big themes also in the book is redemption because a lot of the characters go through like trials of fire i'd say mm-hmm. and like there are points in the book where i can't say any spoilers yet right i mean i think we could start to get into some spoilers here yeah too well okay like for example bigamachi's son mm-hmm. like falls into this pit of despair because his own son dies and he gets into drugs and you're just like man oh my word that period (laughs) where he's like hooked on opium 
and like taking drugs all the time and yeah. just like the worst like going insane and he's just the worst and you're just like wow you are beyond all help and i cannot wait for your character to die and go away but he didn't you know he got better he got better and that is i feel a recurring like set of circumstances that's like in the book time and time again yeah um i can think of like what's his face lennon yeah lennon he was a big redemption story there big elsie Big redemption yeah. story. Digby. Digby had a major big redemption, redemption story. Jopan. Big. Yeah. So all of these all of these people are like heavily flawed people, but they somehow like manage to come back into the family and like be better for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's really cool. Um, okay. So one of the things, and like this kind of ties into uh the like theme that I mentioned is um so the the family that we're talking about they had this servant Shamuel and he had a son named Joppin mm-hmm. and they were of like the lowest cast I don't remember what yeah. it was called but yeah they were like the servants. Palaya or something yeah Palaya yeah the Palaya yeah <clears throat> anyway so they were like they were like the lowest cast um and it was their family worked for the main family especially like Shamuel was the main like his dad had worked for uh worked for Bigamachi's husband and then like the dad died and so Shamwell started working for him and like dedicated his life to this family and everyone in the family loved him. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, but it, he wouldn't like eat in the house of the family and they had like special dishes that were just for him that like they wouldn't use, only he would use them. Um and then his son just really kind of rebelled against the idea of that lifestyle. And there was sort of this tension there where his son was really mm-hmm. good friends with the son of the main family, the, uh, Filippos. Yeah. They were really close, but, like, Joppin wasn't able to do the things that Filippos was, like, go to school and learn to read. And yeah. And Bigamachi kind of, like, rebelled against that in a way um, because she taught Joppin to read. And he ended up, like, going off to, like, work on a boat or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was this really interesting, because then eventually, like, Joppin sort of worked his way into the family, and by the end, like, the He cast, was managing- He was managing the farm. The estate or whatever. Yeah, and they would, like, all sit down to eat together. It was like, this is sort of- Yeah, and I think- yeah. I feel like a new generation comes with new perspectives. hmm And, like, that's- that was especially apparent in this, like- this era of, like, political upheaval in, like, colonialist India or whatever. Yeah. You know? You can especially tell the difference from one generation to the other if, like, all of this stuff is happening. Like, India is trying to, like, get rid of <laughs> the colonist yoke or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so Japan had a more, like, forward-thinking perspective than his dad yeah definitely definitely showed also it was also i think it was because he could read too yeah i think that made a big difference (laughs) his dad couldn't read so like yeah all he knew was like the farm yeah but yeah there's this so after the dad dies there's a scene where um Filippos offers drop in like a large a pretty like significant portion of the farm or like something that would be especially significant for someone to drop its cast mm-hmm. and like the opportunity to manage the farm and like eventually maybe earn some more um and like 
he said it was like oh to you know like repay for how much your dad did for us Mm -hmm. but like in reality it it wasn't a fair price for how much the dad had dedicated his life to this family and Jobin kind of like pushed back against Filippos and was like is this like out of like why are you doing this and like I know Mm -hmm. you think this is like this is subverting the system somewhat to give me this but like I'm trying to remember exactly how it was, but it was almost like I can tell that like you still think of me and like you still think of my father in this way and like you loved him, but he was still Joplin was Joplin was basically saying that his father and Filippo's father had an equal amount of like work that they put in to make this village the village, mm-hmm. and. In Joplin's mind, what his father deserved was at least half of what Filippo's had. Yeah. But he's like, no, you didn't even give me half. You didn't even give me a fifth. You didn't even give me a tenth. It was like, yeah, it was like less than 10%. Yeah. And so he was like, explain to Filippo's, that's how I know. Like, you didn't really look at my dad like an equal human being. Yeah. Because if you really thought fair was fair and that he was family you would have tried to make it right. Yeah, and he was like, sure, this is a generous gift for someone of my cast, but it's not what you would give someone who is, like, on an equal level. And he really called Filippos out on that. And, yeah. Yeah. I remember reading that. I was, like, a little bit annoyed at him because I was like, this is a good gift. Like, you you would be doing well for yourself if you had this. Mm-hmm. But then, like, it kind of made sense. And in the end, Filippos did give him, like a sig- like, a more generous offer. And also, like, the opportunity to earn more. Yeah. And Joplin ended up taking it. Yeah. I definitely think that Joplin was right to reprimand. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if I was Joplin, I would have reprimanded and been like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Get that bag, baby. (laughs) I wouldn't have fumbled the bag. Oh, man. (laughs) He also had a redemption arc. Or you know what I would do? What? Is I would be like, my dad deserved so much more. And Filippo's would be like, you're so right. Let me me give you a more fair offer. And I'd be like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'll do it. (laughs) Oh, man. Console myself with some uh, extra cash. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the other way that he kind of redeemed himself too. I mean, I don't know if he, like, yeah, like, another sort of redemption arc for him. Is I don't the, know if we should get into that. Are you talking about, um, him, like... Getting him off drugs? Oh, no. I thought you were talking about, like, him helping with medical procedures. Oh, I wasn't gonna, I was just more gonna say how he was a father figure for Mariama. Yes, okay. Yeah, so, um, Mariama was Filippos' daughter, and Filippos dies, spoiler, by drowning. <laughs> surprise Um, surprise 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 it's actually really sweet he like saves someone else and lets Mm -hmm. himself even though he knows like he's gonna drown because he can't swim um but yeah so he uh dies by drowning and mariama is like back at this like newly built hospital in this town where she grew up Mm -hmm. um and joplin really takes on this role as father figure for her he like helps her out a lot He'll, like, wait for her after she's done at the hospital at night and, like, walk her home so she'll be safe. Doing, like, all these things that her father would have if he'd been there. Um, because he was, like, best friends with her dad. And I think yeah. he, he kind of views Mariama as a niece, which is another really interesting thing with, like, 
Shamuel would have never quite seen her or, or like seen these people that way. It's like yeah. still the people I work for. But for Joppin, it was almost like this is family. Yeah. And I think that's like really what the book is about is family ties. And that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be. Have to be. Um, a blood. But yeah. Yeah. Because one defining correct characteristic of Bigamachi is that she welcomes everyone into her house. Yes. And she treats everyone as if they were her family. Mm-hmm. And that's like brought upon her so many blessings. And like, it's kind of a nice book because like, you don't have to, to believe in God to appreciate it, but she's like quite a godly woman. And like, she does all the things like she welcomes so many people into her house that her prayers do get answered. Yeah. Because like she invites so many people in that that help her circumstances, you know? Yes. So, um what one of the things is that like towards the big be- like towards the beginning of the book, um so Bigamachi like marries this 40-year-old man who already has a son. Um but she kind of, like, the son is pretty young and she kind of raises him. Like, she very much feels, like, is very close to this kid and feels like it's hers. Um, and after she ends up, like, after she has her first baby, um, this this kid that she, uh, like, from the first marriage that she kind of raised, same with Jojo, dies by drowning. Mm-hmm. And, like, obviously it really upsets her. Like, she's heartbroken. And she prays to God that he will find a cure for the condition. Or, like, he will send someone who can cure the condition it ends up that like her granddaughter um is mariama 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 becomes a doctor and mm-hmm. um when her dad dies she like autopsies his brain and is actually able to find what the condition is like i got through this whole book thinking the condition was just like a bit of hokum like what's <laughs> going on i don't know why like this is just some weird family some thing voodoo <laughs> yeah some like voodoo Indian spirit or something. I don't know. Yeah, like something a little um, from mystical, another world. Yeah. A little mystical, yeah. But no, it's like this medical condition and Mariam is able to find out what it is. And like, it's the type of thing that you never actually, like she doesn't find a cure for it. But, um, well, if you catch it early, Yes, you if you can. catch it early, you can cure it. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's the type of thing that they can, they can now, yeah, cure in other people. So uh, Bigamachi's prayer was answered in that way, which is interesting. Yeah, I have a big problem with the book. <laughs> this is hilarious. I read it before Catherine, and I, as I was reading, I was like, she is not going to like this bitch. Okay, if Jenny has a phobia of scurvy, sp- of scurvy and spiders, I have a phobia of leprosy. And I think it's because of maybe Bible study. And also just like, oh, I hate leprosy. Like the thought of it, like genuinely makes me want to throw up. Um, anyway, a big part of the book is set in a leprosarium. <laughs> and a fair amount of characters get the leps. Yes. Um, <laughs> and this also ties in, we can talk about like Abraham Verghese's writing style yeah but man is descriptive very descriptive and like i do not want to be out here listening to open sores and like faces melting into mush he's just grabbing like like, stumps for hands and stumps for hands and him like 
surgically connecting nerves because the leprosy has killed like like fingers connection to the whatever Mm -hmm. i was just not having a great time and honestly would not read that part ever again (laughs) i didn't find it quite as disturbing but i also don't don't have a crippling fear of leprosy like i do not care what they say of like oh leprosy can be treated a shut up (laughs) oh my word no leprosy talk so mr Verghese, i didn't want you on the podcast anyway because of your stupid leprosy (laughs) oh man he is very descriptive of his writing style though like sometimes a little maybe too descriptive you're like i did not need to know that they'll talk about like how sweaty people are and stuff or yeah. like describe how like this baby is holding on to its dad's chest hair <laughs> there's this quote that i absolutely died and i had to send to you yeah which is like is it on there um I don't think I typed it up on here, no, but it was essentially like his biceps bulged as he lifted his newborn baby to his chest. To his bare chest. To his bare chest. And I'm like, that is an image. Also not a welcome one. (laughs) Yeah, and there were also like these descriptions, right, which I don't have a problem with. Uh, Barring leprosy, I don't have a problem with like bodily fluids, Mm -hmm. but I do have a problem with is unhygienic food. (laughs) And there was this scene, there was this chapter in the beginning of the book that was really tough on me. Okay. Because it was about Bigamachi. She was on this boat on the way to get married, right? Mm -hmm. And she passes by this, like, waterway, this canal. Mm -hmm. And... She gets, uh, Verghese gets really descriptive about how murky the water is. And in my mind, immediately, I'm like, that's disgusting. <laughs> and then, and then he's like, yeah, there are these kids that are bathing in the river, peeing in the river. And then in the next, like, paragraph, some woman is washing her rice in the river. <laughs> and I was like, man. Speaking of bodily <laughs> fluids, though, how hilarious is it that Filippos was making ink with his pee? Yes! Okay, that was also a little weird. Filippos, so like, Filippos ends up becoming a writer. Um, but early on, he's, like, obsessed with making his own ink. It's, like, all these pretty colors. And he uses, like, the soil around him and, like, tries all these different mixtures. And his best one that he ends up, like, selling off to this other guy. Like, he didn't sell the recipe, he would sell his ink. Involved, like, a little bit of his own urine. But he wouldn't tell anyone this. <laughs> it was just, like, a really bizarre, random detail to throw in there. I know. Hmm. But all in all, it was it was really good. Yeah. I think it, it painted such a vivid image of, like, what it was like at the time. And, mm-hmm. like, I was there, you know? You were definitely- I was a little too there. <laughs> It's definitely the type that like transports you into into yeah. the scene. And tell me if you're like this because I told you I already told you that I'm like this. Mm-hmm. But when I'm reading about something that's completely foreign to me, I like the first couple of chapters. I'm really slow because I'm just like building the imagery, right? And so like I have no idea what India looks like or what Indians do. And so like the first couple of chapters, I'm like 
reading every sentence like quite carefully and trying to like picture it in my mind. And that takes like ages. I don't, I don't know if I tried it. Here's one of my flaws, I think, as a reader mm-hmm. is that I'm very much I just like read through it and just sort of guess if I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so like, don't know how the name is pronounced? Just like bleh, in my head. That's what it is. <laughs> Don't know what a mundu is? Like, okay, it's some sort of clothing. (laughs) That's all I got. No idea what it looks like. I don't care. I am reading on. Um, so I think it it for that reason it takes me less time to like Yeah. Because like you you've seen me when I when I like read something. I like look up words and stuff. Yeah, and you're also like brows furrowed to get if you don't if you're a little like trying to figure it out, it's like your brows are furrowed and you're very focused in. Also, I just realized that I, like, make audible expressions when things are, like, really <laughs> intense in a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading um, C.S. Lewis' The Space Trilogy, and, like, I don't care what Emily oh my gosh, I'm sorry to, like, get back on the Emily slander. Like, okay, I talked to Emily about this, so she knows that I really enjoy the Space Trilogy now. There is conflict, but not... In a way that I guess a lot of people could appreciate. Yeah. Maybe eventually we'll talk about the Space Trilogy on here. Because it's on my list now, but we do need to... I need to finish Vanderbilt and then read Myth of Sisyphus first. Yeah. Anyway, bottom line, I was reading the Space Trilogy on the train here. And, like, in all the good parts, like, I physically sometimes have to stop reading because it's too good. (laughs) And I just go... (laughs) Or I just let a little... Yikes. (laughs) I just have to close the book and like not read for like 30 seconds and like recompose myself and mm-hmm. go again and just be like <sighs> close again and that takes a long time yeah. so well tell yeah. them what happened when you did that on the train oh the, the woman next to me was like real page turner you got there and I was like yeah thanks oh man um but anyway yeah that's why it's like super hard for me to get through um something like The Covenant of Water or, like, a sci-fi book. Because mm-hmm. I need to uh, build my mind palace. <laughs> oh, man. The other thing that Abraham Verghese does with his writing that I just really love... Is a good intertwining storyline. Good intertwining storyline. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I am a sucker for a good intertwining storyline. Like, the type where you you know it's gonna intertwine and like you you get some of that and then like you feel like there's more and it's just like you're uncovering what's going on almost like how the storyline intertwines is like a mystery in the book yes like station 11 was kind of like that and i really love that aspect of it yeah i love that yeah but yeah there were hints in the book if you were paying attention right mm-hmm. and we're not gonna get into that because you know <laughs> If yeah. you want to, like, I don't want to totally ruin it for everyone listening yeah. because it's such a great read. And honestly, like, the stuff we talked about has barely scratched, like, 5% of the book. Barely scratched 5% of the book. Um, And, like, honestly, I think we should not spoil what happens in the last, like, 50 pages. Yeah, it's, it's honestly, like, I think... I think there were there were hints, right? Mm-hmm. That was that was like smattered all of all around the book. The problem was there was a lot of book. There was a lot of book. And like honestly, first 400-ish pages I was paying attention 
to like every single detail. I was reading every sentence. And then afterwards, I was like, there cannot be more books to this. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start zooming. <laughs> that was also like right around the time where it was like, okay, we definitely want to talk about this on the podcast. So we have to make sure like you get the book finished. Yeah. We were on a, on, on a little bit of a time, crunch. a time crunch. But yeah. So the main like two storylines are Bigamachi's family and um, this, this character Digby. Um, and yeah, they like kind of intertwine, but then also like, cause yeah, like Digby, um, ends up like living near the girl who ends up marrying Filippos and like this girl sort of helps him get his ability to write back after he like has an accident and loses use of his, loses the use of his hands. Um, and then like Filippos shows up at the leprosy, like, what? (laughs) Don't tell them the intertwining storyline. Uh, well, this is the early intertwining storyline. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there's like all these different ways that they intertwine and like little, there's little things and then also like some pretty major things. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just really interesting. And oh, sucker for a good intertwining storyline. It was, it was excellent. I will say. Yeah. Another thing that I really liked about Vergis's writing style is, is he's a little meta. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he likes to break the fourth wall because, okay, I can think of this one example where um, Bigamachi is, like, on Filippo's butt because he keeps reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and Filippo's just says, <laughs> and Filippo's goes, oh, I'm sorry, Mom. I I pick up a book and I, uh, I read it and I look up and four days have passed, but I've already lived through for uh, three generations and i was like oh that's me i'm reading a book and it's and i'm like it's been four days and i've spanned three generations that's so cool yeah yeah and so he says stuff like that which... so bigamachi obviously is one of the like main characters of this book even when it's not told it, the first part is sort of told from a perspective and then as you go on it's sort of told from the perspective of the young i would say yes um, but she's definitely a permanent fixture in in the story yeah in so far as till she's old. <laughs> until she dies <laughs> until she dies spoiler old people die but even after she dies i feel like people like she's remembered and like thought about quite often yeah and referenced um but okay what was really interesting about her is that she seemed she was very like smart and capable she was very like smart and capable um and like had these sort of dreams and it seems that things that it seemed like she would have loved to do if she had not been married at 12 um but she never did them instead she was this like she just built it was she just was matriarch. This mother yeah um, and like, I think what the story has kind of shown us like multiple times is that a family is built on mothers mm-hmm. and you can't really have stories don't begin without mothers. Yes. Yeah. And like, there was this really interesting quote that I'm going to be butchering slash paraphrasing that a matchmaker said and it was basically like you can tell the disposition of the daughter by the mother but you can also tell the disposition of the son by the mother because you always know you always know who the mother is yeah that's not always the case with the father 
Mm -hmm. And so lineages are like very, it's like, it's all of matrilineal, right? Yeah. And that's like very evident in this book is that the family grows because of Bigamachi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like, and yeah, Bigamachi is like the the backbone of this family. Um, and she's also like a mother to so many. Because even like um, this character, Elsie, mm-hmm. who marries Filippos and like gets brought into the family, sees Bigamachi as like her mother figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bigamachi very much like welcomes her in. Um, and there's all these others that Bigamachi welcomes into the home, even like Joppin. Yes, for sure. And um, Bigamachi, you know, didn't really have any dreams beyond furthering her her family mm-hmm. and her her kids. So really, it's quite interesting because we also have this one other favorite quote that we have in the book, mm-hmm. which is, we don't have children to fulfill our dreams. Children allow us to let go of the dreams we were never meant to fulfill. Yeah. And I think that's so the case for Bigamachi because she was such an intelligent woman. She was so intelligent. Like, she showed up to this place being, like, one of the only people there who was able to read. Mm-hmm. Um, but she didn't, you know, after 12, she didn't go to school. She didn't do any of that. Yeah. And she just focused on providing for her family. And um, I'd say all of her kids had the opportunity to pursue dreams. Yeah. I mean, if you think of all of her kids as, like, Filippos and then his daughter, Mariana. I'd say even Jopin. Oh, yeah. I, I wasn't... I, okay, I didn't realize yeah. I knew him as one of her kids. Baby Mole was a bit of a different story. <laughs> yeah, we're not... Let's not even Baby Mole. <laughs> but I'll just say that Baby Mole was a very interesting... It was... You know what? Any dream that Baby Mole had... They made it happen. That's actually so true, because Baby Mole was like, oh, we dance when the monsoon comes. (laughs) And And everyone was like, okay, we dance when the monsoon comes. (laughs) But also, Baby Mole can, like, predict the future. (laughs) See, I told you, there's a lot of book to this book. (laughs) There's a lot of book to this book. Um, But yeah, it was interesting. And it was also interesting to see how her dreams were realized in her children. Mm-hmm. Um, cause she was very much the type to like help out and like get involved and it almost seemed like she would have liked to become a doctor eventually if that, if that had been an option for her, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. Um, and then like her granddaughter, who's actually named after her, Mariama, mm-hmm. um, ends up becoming this doctor and like finds a cure for the condition, which is really, really interesting. And it's almost like she's, her granddaughter realizes the dream of her grandmother, you know? Yeah. And um should we talk about Oh, wow. We are like I know. Killing time. We are killing time. Okay. Um let's see. Should we, we talk about We need to talk about the covenant of water. Okay, yeah. I vote we do we talk about the covenant of water and then we do our final bit. Yes. Okay. But I need you to know that there's a lot of book to this book and we have barely scratched the surface. 10 out of 10 would recommend you read it. If you're in the Blacksburg area, I will lend it to you. Yes. If you are in any area, I will lend it to you. Unless you're a creepo. <laughs> no creepos allowed. Yes. I recently discovered uh, media mail. <laughs> Apparently that's a thing and you can send books at a cheaper price. Yes. So... If yeah. you're $3 away, I got you. 
<laughs> All right. Anyway, so this book is called The Covenant of Water, and like it didn't really explain what exactly that covenant of water was until yeah the end. because i just thought like oh water because they drown like yeah okay, honestly real same. creative okay whatever it's like okay the covenant with water is that the water's gonna kill you <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway the, uh verghese uses this analogy of like all the waterways in kerala which is like quite a watery water place <laughs> watery place they're all connected and he kind of brings it back to, like, the family and all the people surrounding that family. They're all connected and they are um, kind of changing together, mm-hmm. right? And nothing is stagnant and everything and nothing is permanent, right? And they, he keeps reusing and reusing this metaphor of I plunged into the water and I came out a new person. I am a new person and that water is, a, is new water mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, like, for those of you who don't know, the original person who said that was Heraclitus. <laughs> and he's a very good uh, philosopher. Anyway. And he said that a man can't step in the same river twice because it's not the same river and it's not the same man. Yes. I feel like I've <laughs> beaten that quote to death with you. Yes. Well, I love it so much. Like, it's so, so accurate. Like, sometimes, I feel like sometimes you go back to a place where you once were and it's and you're like, oh, it's not the same river and I'm not the same man. Yeah. And, like... It's such a good, uh, like, descriptor because sometimes um, we, like, ask each other about, like, oh, when you went home, you were like, oh, it's not the same river and it's not the same mm-hmm. me kind of thing. And, like, yeah, sometimes, you know, things seem like they're the same river but you're not the same person or it's a different river but you're still the same person kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, like, really a really good, like, what do you call it? Metaphor? Metaphor. <laughs> Um, um, yes, yeah, so the the idea here is it's it's kind of that where it's like everything's changing, so it's not the same river, and yet it's the water that connects you to all these other people, and yes. like the water that brings you to other people. Yes, and what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, nothing is forever, and that's especially evident if you're comparing the start of the book to the end of the book, because the cast of characters that begin the book are entirely different entirely different from the characters that end the book and yet they're all connected wild wild anyway. covenant of water folks <laughs> yes but yeah it's interesting yeah, um and it makes really me interesting it makes me think sometimes about like who are these people that i'm connected to in my own life like who are the the people that like the waterways have connected me to you know yeah and maybe one of them is you, because you weren't in the cast of characters at the start of my life, but now you're in... Now you're in them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we end... Girl, I hope so. I would be devastated if one of us, uh, like, died. <laughs> because, okay, first of all, I feel like death is the only reason we stop being friends. <laughs> I would be devastated if one of us died, like, significantly more before the other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Should we do our final bit? Um, Do we have more to say about the covenant of water? No, I think that's good. Like, honestly, we could talk about this book for like another six hours, but like, who has time for that? And also, I want people to read this book. Yes. Like, to be honest, it may sound like we talked a lot about this book and we did do like some spoilers, but like the things that you really don't want spoiled in this book, we did not spoil for you. And literally by the time you are 200 pages in you will have forgotten what we said about the book honestly yeah there's a lot of book to this book but like i said so good yeah so good so descriptive so like evocative 
Is that a word? Yes. And would you agree that it's? Yes. Yeah. Evoked. It evoked emotion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so our final, final bit. bit. Let's say you're telling the story of three generations of, of your family. Mm-hmm. Or of my, like I'll t- say for me. Yeah. Um, what do you think the major themes would be? And this is like starting, if we say we're starting three generations back. So like your grandmother, your mother, and then you. Okay. Or it could be like your grandmother and then your father and your, then you. Yes. So let me see. If I were going three generations back, it would be a little similar to the Covenant of Water. Because back then, um, the Philippines was still colonized. Interesting. By, by the Americans. Yeah. And then in my dad's generation, they were free, but they were under a dictator (laughs) who like stole all their money and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then now me with my uh, American husband, (laughs) my American husband and my uh, tall ice brown sugar oat milk chicken espresso. (laughs) Every morning at Starbucks, like, it's just like, a lot and i think it would be about progress about how soft <laughs> i am compared to my grandma mm-hmm. but maybe you know what she she got married at 16 wasn't very educated i don't think she even finished high school um and she was like massively proud of whatever i did and so i think it would be like a bigamachi mariyama story interesting in the end yeah, I would be a little bit less of a mess than Mariama. Mariama was a little bit of a mess. <laughs> um, yeah, we're not going to talk about that because we want you to figure out why she's such a mess. But yeah, I think it's that and also like travel. Mm. Yeah, moving to a different place and how even though I don't live in the Philippines, my roots are still the same because water is all connected. <laughs> yeah you know yeah yeah it would be it would be that like moving places but still maintaining your identity Mm -hmm. because if there's one thing that i do not have is identity (laughs) it's true anyway okay so for mine i think i would i think it would be focused around my my mother's mother Mm -hmm. um so like that grandmother and I don't know, it's interesting because, like, obviously, we lived in the U.S., like, it's three generations in the U.S., mm-hmm. but um, she was Amish Ooh. for, like, a large portion of her life. That's good. And so I think there would be, like, themes of religion there with, like, sort of figuring out what you believe and, like, what groups you're going to be a part of. Because mm-hmm. um, she ended up leaving, like, her and her husband and family ended up leaving the Amish when my mom was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, like, that, like, religion figuring out who you are because like my my grandma ended up leaving the Amish to become like the, the sort of beachy it's called which is like similar to the Amish but not quite Amish it's like a me- group of Mennonites um and then like my mom ended up sort of moving away from that more to like um you know how she is now mm-hmm. um and then I don't know I feel like I I'm still very much Mennonite but, like, I've moved some away from, like, exactly how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And so I think that theme would be something interesting to see continued. And also just access to education. Because I think all of us, 
well, maybe not my grandma so much, but I think my grandma was about like information and getting, get like learning things. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like my mom went to college, but never got like an actual college degree. And now here I am like getting a PhD in math. And so I think that would be a really interesting like theme is how to watch how that changes, I guess, throughout generations. Yeah. That's like actually really nice that you're getting a PhD because I think I told you this before, but I have regressed. Like I am the least accomplished <laughs> um, cousin in my family. Like, yeah, I do have a master's degree, but like all my cousins are like doctors and lawyers. <laughs> oh man. Um, but um, um, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I think also, okay, but here's the thing. I don't think the thing that would connect us would be water. I think the thing that would connect us, and you're going to know this already, but I think it would be bread. <laughs> because here's the thing. is like, obviously my, my grandma made bread, right? Like, she had a family to feed. She made bread, right? She taught my mom how to make bread. Get that bread. Yeah, get that bread. And then my mom taught me how to make bread. And it's something that I really love to do. Um, especially, here's the thing. This The podcast doesn't need to hear this, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Like, there's all these bread recipes online that are like, oh, no need. You don't need to knead this bread, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Because that's, like, the whole reason I make bread is that you get to, like, let out all your aggression. It really does, like, it really does do something. And, like, it's a way to, like, get out sort of the feelings that are pent up in you. Um, anyway, I think that would be a big theme because it's very, it feels very, like, the process of kneading dough feels like this connection to the to the women who made you 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 know mm-hmm. it's like women throughout generations have done this and here i am continuing it and like when i have a daughter i'm gonna teach her how to make bread you know yeah yeah um so yeah i think that would be something that connects connects us cool okay um here's another more interesting okay. one more interesting more interesting <laughs> anyway so what's this new story idea where first generation and we have to build a story that goes down three i mean goes down two generations okay um the one thing that has to happen is that we have to share a grandkid so one of my kids needs to marry one of your kids and have at least one shared grandkid for us one little bb and that will be the favorite bb oh it's gonna be the it's gonna be the favorite kid. And also, whichever kid marries one of your kids, favorite kid. <laughs> Honestly, same. Yeah. Like, somewhere I turn pretty who? Exactly. I think Catherine Jr. In all likelihood, I'm gonna have kids first. Yeah. So if I have a guy, Catherine Jr., if I have a son, Catherine Jr. should marry her. Yes. Him. Just so the podcast knows, I'm gonna ma- name one of my kids Catherine. Catherine Jr. is not one of Catherine's kids. <laughs> Because it would be weird if Catherine's kid married her brother. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to have Jenny Jr. And she's going to have Catherine Jr. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's oh, going to be great. My heart. <laughs> okay, so I feel like there, mm-hmm. one of the themes is going to be, like, friendship. And sort of, like, the ties that aren't ties by blood. Yeah, I think it's how you how like your chosen family ultimately becomes true family yeah kind of thing yeah and like yeah. how family family is something that you're born into but it's also something you build yeah yeah Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> okay 
metaphor. <laughs> All right. Should we call it there? Yeah, let's call it there. All right. This has been Idiot's Alphabet Soup. Baboosh. Baboosh.